Welcome to episode 56 of the False Neutral Podcast. I'm Pete. Eric is with me as usual. And today we have a special guest. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett's back with us. How you doing, Garrett? Good, good. It has been uh, an awfully long time since I have joined you guys, it feels like. It's because it has been an awfully long time. <laughs> I know. As I joked on the other podcast, you have a life. So. Uh, yeah, well, my wife has a life and generally that includes me. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> we, you know, um, we went to visit her grandma in Utah. Um, her grandma's pretty old. And so, you know, we have our three month old son. So we had to take the kids there to visit the grandma and all that good stuff. And it was depressing being in Utah where it was sun shining and knowing that I didn't live there and then have to come back home to the rain, you know. Uh, one day I was in Utah, it was 80 degrees and sunny. I drove up the canyon in Salt Lake. You just drive 20 minutes up the canyon, beautiful canyon, like Mulholland Drive, but you just drive up the canyon and then there's ski resorts and everybody's skiing and there's still tons of snow. Drive down the canyon 20 minutes, it's 80 degrees in town, it's sunny, it's beautiful. And then you come back to Vancouver, Washington or Portland, Oregon, and it's just terrible rain. There's wind and oh, it's just the worst. It's the worst. It's been awful here lately, too. It's so much rain. And, and I was watching the news this morning. They're saying on this day, one year ago here in Portland, it was 89 degrees. And today it's like 53 degrees and raining. Yeah, but at least your basement wasn't under three inches of yeah. water the last couple of weeks. So Yeah, I saw some of those pictures that you had posted. It looks like you're doing quite a bit of work down there trying to fix that drainage issue, huh? Yeah, the the basement is completely blown out. Uh, in fact, today they just put in all the the new drainage, well, tile or whatever the tubes, um, yeah. and um, the new vapor barrier covering for the inside. And then they it started raining here today, so they couldn't do the cement work to cover it. But so that's tomorrow, and then hopefully that'll be done. We got to wait ten days, and then we can start assembling the basement again. So yeah, cool. Yeah. Anything new with you that I don't know, Pete? Um, thank you very, very much for the uh, engine plates. They're perfect. Oh, yeah. I have kind of mocked things up, and I'm actually concentrating on the Honda right now, but I'm also having those kinds of life things. Very, very busy at work, and uh, my mother-in-law is having some, some health issues that are requiring us to be kind of... Uh, Healthcare advocates close to a full-time job. So, yeah, yeah, it's, and of course, owning a home that just, mm -hmm. I've decided that, that home ownership is the enemy of motorcycles. There's a reason why, you know, then came Bronson didn't have a home and was riding around on his Sportster going from town to town. Cause as soon as you buy a house, you don't have any time or money to spend on motorcycles. So yeah, this is true. Yeah, houses and young kids, that is really the enemy of motorcycling. Between my two-year-old and my three-month-old, there's just not a whole lot of time 
to do anything motorcycle related. And firearms purchases, but that's the topic for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. I did uh I got my Honda Nighthawk all wrapped up, so well, we you know, saw, a we... year a year ago when I was last on this podcast, I was talking about replacing <laughs> the wiring harness and the rest of it. So I got the all the wiring harness in. Yeah, I think I sent you guys a picture of the paint. So that was my first attempt at painting anything. And it actually turned out way better than I was expecting it would. Uh, so I did epoxy primer, did a base coat, clear coat on top of that. The paint laid out flat. It's it's smooth. It's not orange peeled. It's uniformed. It actually looks like presentable. So the paint's all done. It rides good. All the wiring works. Um, so yeah, I've taken it on a couple of short rides and it's done pretty well. So all in all, I'm pretty happy with it. But the big question is the chrome pinstripe tape. I didn't put it on. Nope. You're not going to? No. No, so I was going to get the original style decals. You can get uh, recreations of them. And so that was my original plan. And then I was thinking I would do some, instead of that, do some gold uh, kind of stripes over the top of the tank because it's easier. And I just wanted to at least give it some detail. And then I decided I just didn't care enough. I was burnt out on working on it. I just didn't want to put that much effort into it. So I abandoned everything just did it black. That's it. So just make it easy. Well, you know, if it's a utilitarian machine to go out and ride and it's not a showpiece, then that's all you need. Exactly. Yeah. So it's done. Uh, I just kind of simplified that part a little bit. Um, but I did. I can't help myself. I'm the worst. So my friends make fun of me because I am obsessive about maintenance and and knowing everything is perfect. So it was my original plan to just write it. And then I figured, well, you know, I'll just go ahead and paint it. Might as well do that. And then I had just figured I would change the oil and the filter. But, you know, as far as checking the ignition or or valve adjustment or anything else, I just didn't care. I was just going to put miles on it and ride it because I'm tired of working on motorcycles. And then it, I was like, well, I'll just go ahead and check the valves. While I'm <laughs> and so I've got the top of the thing taken off. Now, does that and then sc- like, screw ah. adjusters or shims? Uh, screw adjusters. Okay, so oh, that's okay. that's a whole lot easier. Yeah, and um, yeah. So then I checked the ignition and uh, lubed the advanced weights. It's got kind of a weird. It's not it's not a CDI, but it is an electronic pickup ignition. So it's kind of in between points and a full electronically controlled ignition. So um, it doesn't have points. It has an electronic pickup, but it still has a mechanical advance mechanism. Um, and so I just inspected all of that, lubed the, uh, advanced mechanism, checked the, uh, base timing and, and everything's good. Actually, frustratingly, I checked the valves and they were all in spec. So I wasted my time doing that. And then but the you ignition didn't, you was, you didn't waste your time. Well, no, I didn't waste know. my time. Now you know. Right, exactly. And so that's all that I wanted was just the peace of mind in my head, knowing that everything at this point is good. I'll never, ever, ever check it again. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> in um in in disassembling the basement and putting everything into a uh, one of those pods that we had to rent you found um, your I did, you found your points. I found my points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now I have two sets of points. Yeah. But 
you know, that's a good thing because ten years from now, when I need to change them again, I've got it. I've got a set ready to go. Yeah, Which is exactly. exactly what you predicted was going to happen. Yep. Yeah. I missed a good night of writing um, here just the other day. My friend who owns a Tuano and the FCO nine, we have this kind of rural area not far from us, and it is and has been for like sixty years the spot where everybody goes to do this illegal street racing, which I don't condone, but it's been happening for years way, way back when, before they started cracking down on it, people would trailer in drag cars, (laughs) like no, not even street legal. I mean, we're talking nine second quarter mile cars and then all kinds of people started dying doing it. So then, you know, in the sixties and seventies, they started cracking down on it pretty good. But Nowadays, um, it's still uh, quite the scene. And so my friend rode his Tuano down there the other night, and there was a a Hellcat, uh, one of the Hellcat Dodge cars, um, a Lamborghini Huracan. There was a Skyline GTR and a few other um, cars down there. And so my friend who owns a Tuano, who is also kind of a hooligan, went and raced a bunch of those cars. And... Um, I mean, it's a extremely fast motorcycle. So I think that he beat most of those other cars that were he was drag racing. But um, it was probably a pretty exciting event to watch and see all those cars race against the Tuano. But apparently the Tuano held its ground. So interesting. Cool. Also illegal. Don't do that <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a, a <clears throat> pretty large street race scene around here in Detroit. So that's yeah. Uh, as you might expect, this being, you know, center of the automotive world. Yeah, yeah, that's true. One thing I will say about um, where they go in street race down um, here locally, there are no intersecting streets and it's one way in, one way out. Um, so all the traffic is pretty well controlled. There's no chance of people coming in from like a perpendicular direction and like intersecting where they're racing. Um, and you can see anybody that's coming, uh, because there's only one way in. So, and they race at night, so headlights are on and you can see people for quite a long ways away. It's just like farmland with no turns or anything like that. So, um, at least if they're going to crash, they're probably only going to kill themselves and not innocent, you know, pedestrians or people, uh, intersecting the drag strip. So, you know, there's always that. Going back to our episode last week, first of all, I need to say Falcone, Falcone, Falcone. I said Motoguzzi Falcone last week, and I know that's wrong. I've known it's wrong for a year, but it's one of those things that you get in your head wrong and you just you say it that way to yourself. And I had several people give me crap about the fact that I corrected Cam Vanderhorst's pronunciation <laughs> of uh, Sapporo on their podcast, and then I mispronounced <laughs> Falcone. Well, so, you're an American, so, so yeah, and, it's to be expected. You can blame it on a kid I went to grade school with named Frank Falcone. So, uh. But uh, on Hooniverse, we got some comments last time. Uh, Bob, who I, I don't know who Bob is, but Bob said, 
talking about horizontal cylinders, does the Han, or does the Yamaha T-Max work in this discussion at all? Admittedly, it's a scooter, but it was a fairly horizontal parallel twin. And then he said, with a dummy cylinder, and I don't know what that means. And I replied, good point. Uh, not only that, but also the BMW C scooters have uh, horizontal twins in them as well. So thank you, Bob, for mentioning that. And get back with I, me and explain what dummy cylinder is. I rode or, one of those BMW C, uh, C scooters last year and oh, did a little video for us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cool yeah. little things. Uh, Pretty you know. luxurious for a scooter. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying I would ever buy one, but I can uh, kind of see the attraction of them. Mm-hmm, Maxi yeah. scooter. You know, that, that brings us to our topic for this week, which is how many bikes do you need? Uh, this actually comes to us courtesy of friend of the podcast, Rusty Spokes, who said, how about this for a topic? How many bikes does a person need? And needs is in quote. Uh, needs versus wants, the pitfall of too many bikes, and what each of you would want in your perfect garage. Um, quite honestly, I was thinking about this and I thought, okay, very few people need a motorcycle at all. From my experience going to the Triumph Bobber debut, especially nowadays where you really don't need to ride a motorcycle, you just need a t-shirt. And a hat and uh, lots of cool, you know, keychains and things like that. And you can, you can, you can get away with all the uh, trappings without actually having the bothersome, hot, cold, wet experience of riding on a motorcycle. Yeah, uh, so much cheaper that way. When right. you just tell people you ride, but you don't actually ride, you get all the benefits of being cool with none of the drawback of having to actually spend money on a motorcycle. With none of that awful enjoyment <laughs> of riding. Yeah. But, and I thought, well, there are probably people in LA who, because I, I know everyone I've talked to in that area that rides says, oh, on a bike, you know, they, it cuts their commute time so, in half because they can filter and lane split. San Francisco and Silicon Valley as well. Right. Those people, I can see somebody saying, no, I need a motorcycle. Um, but honestly, something like one of those BMW C scooters or even like a Bergman 200, something that, that's big enough to be freeway legal would probably suffice for a, a lane splitting commuter machine. So I'm, what do you guys think? How, how much motorcycle do you need and how many motorcycles do you need? Well, you're right. People largely don't need a motorcycle. However, um, I am going to own motorcycles and I'm probably going to own several. And so, although it's not a need, um, I feel like I can, uh, make a case for at least, Owning them, um, I, I have on the spectrum of having too many, um, and it's part of having too many. Also, um, I have a bunch of old motorcycles that always require some amount of work, and so I think that you could say that I probably have too many. Although, if they were all newer motorcycles and didn't require as much work, then I might be able to justify um, keeping as many as I have. But um, in a perfect world. If I had unlimited resources, I would probably have 
three motorcycles. I would have a dirt bike for riding off-road. I would have a sporty motorcycle for riding short distances and a touring motorcycle for long distances. And I think what that would look like is um, probably a like something like a Tuano or an FC09 or something like that for like a relatively short distance bike. And then um, uh, maybe a sport tourer or just a tourer for long distance riding. Um, there's some pretty cool uh, sport tourers that I'm interested in these days, like the Super Duke <clears throat> GT. Did you, uh, do you see motorcycle.com uh, just did a, a video on that? Uh-uh. Yeah, it was uh, Super Duke GT, the BMW 1000XR, and then oh, the yeah. MV Agusta. Like six, whatever the 700, 675-700cc sport tour was. Oh yeah, it's a it's a pretty good video. Yeah, so something like that. Um, I don't ride as long distance as much as I would really like to, and so if I were going to sacrifice a bike, it would probably be um, a sport tour because I think that's kind of a luxury. I mean, you can ride pretty long distances on something like a Tuano because they're pretty upright, and and it's still. It looks cool and it's, you know, aggressively sporty, um, but still comfortable enough to ride long distances. So I don't really know if I would need a tour. But um, so I think three motorcycles is is right. It might be one too many, but I think you could kind of justify it, although more than that is certainly too much. And you could probably if you don't ride off road, you could probably make do with just one bike. Although you're going to sacrifice something to have something else. You know, if you want sportiness, you're going to sacrifice a little bit of comfort and vice versa. So that's my thought. Pete? I think it depends on what it is you want to do with motorcycles. If you're a motorcycle collector, uh, just to digress, I have a lot of firearms. I don't carry every day. I don't shoot in competition. I don't hunt. I have them because I have a big gun safe and I like to take them out, take them to the range and show them off and punch paper with them. And just, I'm a collector. That's what I do with them. And that's all I'm ever going to do with them. So for me, as a friend of mine once said, whatever your problem is, in life is the solution is always a bigger gun safe. Um, <laughs> so it's like, I look at, and I'm always saying, Oh, I need to downsize. I need to downsize. I need to get rid of some of these that I don't like all that much and that I don't ever fire. And, and the fact of the matter is they're just going to get traded for something else. And it's never going to get any smaller a collection. It can only go in one direction. And I'm okay with that because it's what I, my whole purpose of having them is to have them and have as many different ones as I can. And I have some that are totally impractical and would not serve any purpose in any kind of functional way. I think there are people who are like that with motorcycles that they, they want to collect different bikes and that's that's an end to itself. I'm not that person. Um, but I do 
I do like working on them. I, I would always want to have some kind of a project bike, even though I don't get a chance to work on them as much as I'd like. Someday I will be retired and that will be what I will do every day is I will get up, put on my grubby jeans and t-shirt and I will go to the garage for at least some amount of the time every day. And, uh, so project bike for me is a category that's always got to be filled with something. And that's totally different from the one I want to ride because I want to ride and I don't want to <laughs> ride something that I've built. I want something that's going to be nice and reliable and new and, you know, fuel injection and comfortable suspension and stuff. And I'm just, I don't have those kinds of skills. So there's at least two, my, my rider and my project bike. And I could probably split it into a neighborhood runaround bike and long-distance bike. And for me, my long-distance bike is a Spider. I would love, if I had all the money in the world, to go out and get a F6C Valkyrie 2014 ABS. That's, that's one of my dream bikes. But I know full well that it's going to be too big for a round town. And if I'm going to go on a long multi-day trip, I'm going to take the spider. So I would, the idea of having it is really cool. But in reality, I think I would feel guilty if I got it. Cause I would never use it as much as I told myself I was going to. Yeah. One of the problems with having a bunch of motorcycles is, and, and that you don't get with, guns is a gun you can you can oil it up really well and you can put it in its case and keep it in a dry environment and it can just sit there forever and ever and be just fine but motorcycles require a little bit more than that there's battery maintenance and you know oil even sitting it needs to be changed periodically and then there's fuel in the gas tank and and all those other things and so when you have a whole fleet of motorcycles all of which require a battery tender and you know, at least some gas freshening up or drain it entirely. And, you know, the engine really should be rotated every so often to keep oil up in the, the valve train and stuff like that. And so you start compounding all of these problems when you have 10 different motorcycles and you start running into issues where you have to keep all of these 10 motorcycles maintained. And you, it's difficult to just set them aside and let them sit there for a year or two years. They almost need you know, every uh, 60 or 90 days, uh, some sort of service. Also, they take up a lot of space. That's true. They're hard to store. Yes. When we're done with this podcast, I'm going to go take a picture of the shop, uh, my shop, and I'm going to show you all of the motorcycles lined up. And, and not all of my motorcycles are even in there. And just show how much space they occupy. And then... I, my dirt bike, I hadn't ridden it for, gosh, I don't think I've ridden my dirt bike and probably coming around to two years. And I went to start it the other day. Now I keep ethanol free gas in it, uh, just cause it lasts a little bit longer, but it, I had a hell of a time getting it started. So I ended up draining all the gas, going and get fresh gas, put it in it. And luckily it fired up and it, it runs and idles and everything works properly. But I think it was right on that edge of, the gas going bad and having to take the carb off and clean it all out and put it back on. And so luckily I caught it before that happened, but 
So it kind of sparked me to go and just make sure that all of the different motorcycles had their batteries charged up, had the fresh gas in it. And so, yeah, I think I don't know. I need to count how many motorcycles there are in the shop, but too many, too many for me to maintain adequately. That's for sure. You brought up something else. I didn't even think for a lot of people, a dirt bike is a need. You know, if, if yeah, if you've got friends or family members that ride or you have a big farm or whatever, you know, you I don't have anywhere to ride. I never was. Well, other than my Persang and my XL never really did any off roading, but I can see somebody saying, you know, either a dual purpose bike or a pure dirt bike might be a need for some people. Uh, a race bike, either dirt or road racing, may be a priority for somebody. Yeah, and it's kind of difficult how you how a person would define need. I I like to ride off road, and although my kids are too young currently, at some point I'll get them into dirt biking with me. And it's something that I would like to do once a year, just to go into the desert and and ride dirt bikes with them. I think it would be a fun recreation to do. And although we don't need to do that. I think that it's a good way to spend time with your kids to take them out and show them, learn how to ride motorcycles. And so, uh, you know, that might be a need. I don't know. It is for some people. It might be for me. A good analogy for that would be, uh, I took about 12 years off for motorcycles and we got really into watercraft and we had three different jet skis oil. Technically, two wave runners and a Sea-Doo. And for that time in our life, we had, we don't have kids of our own, but we had two nieces that were young. My sister-in-law and her husband had a big four-person Sea-Doo uh, lake whale. And uh, her mom and dad were young enough that they wanted to go to the lake all the time. So that was what we did, you know, four, five, six, seven times a summer. We would... Go down, spend the weekend at the lake and, uh, down in, you know, the Arkansas area, beautiful, clear lakes down around the, the Buffalo River and, and Table Rock, Branson area. Great, great recreational lakes down there. And we wouldn't have traded those for the world. I really, we had a blast. And all of a sudden, uh, my nieces got, big enough they were in high school they had something going on every weekend with their friends or band practice or you know swim team or something so they stopped going they got rid of their sea and bought an rv and uh my father-in-law went in a nursing home with parkinson's my mother-in-law's uh became frail enough she couldn't go and And it was like within about a three or four year period, it went from this is a really cool thing we really like to, okay, this is taking up the, we had a double Sea-Doo trailer that was 10 feet wide and 18 feet long that took up almost all of our garage. And then I had my little one person that was uh, on a, on a wheel around cart that didn't even go on the trailer. So I I had more than I could take to the lake at any one time. And it was, we kind of looked at each other and said, we're done. Yeah. There was one summer we took it out one time. The next summer we didn't take it out at all. And that fall, we're like, in the spring, we're selling them. And yeah. when we well, got rid a- of, when we got rid of them, it had been like 18 months since we'd been out on it. Yeah. Well, it was a, it was a, it was a social thing. 
right? And when there's no one to socialize and do it, then it doesn't, it's not as much fun. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I think that, you know, that's probably how you can determine how many motorcycles you need is how often are you riding them? How often are you using them? If they're just sitting for six, nine, 12 months, then you don't need that motorcycle. Well, hold on. In certain parts of the country, they're going to sit for six months whether you want to ride them or not. That's true. If you have the <laughs> opportunity, four or five, anyways. <laughs> if you have the opportunity to ride a motorcycle or motorcycles, and there are one or more in your collection that aren't, I shouldn't say collection. If it's a collection, then I don't. You can't. You just have to justify it sitting there somehow. But if you own them and with the intent of riding them and have the opportunity to ride them, and are not riding them, you do yes. not need that motorcycle. And, and I think there's a difference between owning a lot of motorcycles and having the riding experience of a lot of different bikes. I don't want to own a whole bunch of motorcycles, Yeah, but I'm totally down with other people's motorcycles. I I would love to have like a, a YouTube channel or a cable show called, Hey, Can I Borrow Your Keys?, and just right. go around the country finding people with interesting bikes and say, hey, can I ride it? So I think I think we're about to be millionaires because I'm imagining a ride sharing app where everybody in a town has their motorcycle in the app and then you can go rent it for the day. Just kind of like uh, nobody's riding uh, my bike. Uh, <laughs> Airbnb, but for motorcycles. Yeah. Tur- Turo is what is what that is for cars. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Turo works because it's really hard to flip a car. Uh, <laughs> it's really you know, easy to dump a bike. With the right insurance, uh, you know, it might create a headache. But and yeah, the other thing is, is if I had a motorcycle and I was renting it out, you have to assume that the person is going to go and do everything they can to hurt your motorcycle. Um, ride it at the absolute limits of the rpm band all the time and i don't think i could do that that's why you have the like used you bought for twenty five hundred dollars from a salvaged auction spent a thousand bucks putting it back together so it's decent and then you don't care (laughs) yeah but it would be nice to have the opportunity to ride various motorcycles without having to own them and i just don't know of a way you could do that without some sort of service where you rented it uh, Edelweiss bike tours. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, uh, retro, and then retro, it's probably I'll, just going to be like a BMW GS something or other. <laughs> I'll, I'll make a plug here for uh, retro tours. They're on the East Coast and they have a whole stable of things like, um, I think they have a Benelli 650 Tornado, Norton, uh, hmm. old Harleys, and they rent them out. Now, they don't rent them out for you to just take, but you can go on like a weekend excursion, rent one, you know, sign up for an excursion with them and take one of their bikes on a guided excursion through, you know, Pennsylvania or wherever. I would love to do that. In fact, he had for years a Silk 700S that I desperately wanted to ride. It's It was really rare evolution of the Scott two strokes. They're just totally cool and they're, very few people even ever see one. Yeah, rent it for the weekend. Just this spring, he sold it. Mm. And I'm heartbroken. Bummer. <laughs> yeah. But that, that takes some guts to take something like a, a silk. Yeah. And just say, yeah, come rent it and ride it. Yeah, I think 
it's hard to define needing motorcycle, but I would say if you're if you're a motorcyclist, then you need one motorcycle. If you know you have to have a motorcycle to ride, but I think that that's different than how many motorcycles can you justify owning. I think two to three is a good number. More than that, it just becomes cumbersome to store, maintain, and and adequately ride that many motorcycles. We haven't brought up parts bikes. When I was a bachelor at one point, I had 11 motorcycles in my garage. I don't think I ever had more than two or three that were in fully operational condition. (laughs) I don't think I ever had more than two at a time licensed for the street. And I couldn't legitimately consider... Well, maybe three or four were actual project bikes that I intended to completely fix up. All the rest of them were, well, I have a Jalera 124 and a Jalera 202. Well, here's a Jalera 106. It's probably got some parts. Yeah, it's locked up. I'll never get it running. I don't want to ever get it running. But, hey, it's $75 at a swap meet. I better pick it up <laughs> and take it home. You know, It's got $150 worth of parts on it. Yeah, and, and so I had easily half of what i had in there were parts bikes you know oh my neighbor's selling his gs450 real cheap i need a disc brake front end for my race bike there you go now i have a gs450 with no wheels and no forks sitting in the corner well i'll do something with it someday so at what point does it become not a motorcycle and just become part of your parts stash it, I, I feel like if you intend to ride it, then it needs to be counted as a motorcycle. If it is just a parts bike for another bike that you intend to ride, it doesn't count. Yeah, but you can have infinite it, amounts of those. <laughs> it still takes up the same amount of room. That's true. That's what that's what shelves and disassembly are for. Yeah, and it requires no maintenance, uh, as far as you know, normal motorcycle maintenance goes, battery charging and stuff like that. So. That's true. Now, see, in my state, I, I wouldn't have to register it, but I would still pay property tax on it. Yeah. I have my 1969 Vespa Supersport, and it hasn't been registered for the road in quite some time. And so it just sits because nobody rides it. And, um, you know, it's it's in too nice of condition to just ride around. Uh, but because of that, it's the gas has gone bad in it. And I haven't been interested in taking the carburetor off of it and cleaning out the gas tank so it has just been sitting that way for a long time and i feel bad it's actually currently on my motorcycle lift because every other motorcycle that i have i've kind of done everything that i'm going to do to it like my honda nighthawk i got it painted and and made it ran my tx750 everything's done on that i don't really have any other motorcycles that require something right now so i put the vespa on the lift and I imagine some point this summer I'll clean the gas out of it, but I'm so tempted to sell it because I don't intend to ride it. I don't really know what good it does me sitting there and maybe it'll increase in value over time, but I just don't want to maintain it at all. So I I just feel like I should sell it. I don't know. Is it hipster? is, Is it hipster enough to get a premium in Portland? Yeah. Portlanders love Vespas. Probably more than record players or <laughs> uh, rotary dial telephones. So <laughs> it, it could definitely pull a premium here, but 
it had been in my wife's family since it was new. Um, I acquired it and, and so there's like some sentimental attachment to it and in, in my wife's side of the family, but not enough probably to care if it ever got sold. So I don't know. It's something that I kind of have been thinking about over the past year. Cause it, I mean, it, well, if someone said <clears throat> someone gives you guff about it, you just say, well, you know, we have two kids and they need things and it's just sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Not exactly. that that's why, not, not that's why you would do it or are doing yeah. it, but. It's, it's only good... got like 900 miles on it. It's oh, got geez. the original tires. It's all, I mean, it's just in perfect condition. But, wow. Yeah. That's cool. But it doesn't run because the gas is all plugged up in the carburetor. I, so. I, I know something about that. Gas sitting <laughs> yeah. in a gas tank for 25 years. Yeah. Good friend of mine from high school, his dad had a 1962 Honda 160 Dream. It was all white and had white plastic Bates saddlebags and the old stand-up windshield in the front that clamped to the handlebars. Yeah. And he had put like 3,000 miles on it. He bought it with 1,000, rode it for 2,000, and then parked it and did nothing to it from, uh, I'm going to say, 75, 76 until about six or eight years ago. And he was convinced that it was appreciating in value the whole time. Yeah. And so a friend of mine who actually uh, restored a 160 Honda, or actually a, it was even earlier, it was a 150. Uh, by the way, hi, Russ. Russ uh, listens to our podcast when he goes to bed at night and says he's asleep within 15 minutes. So he really appreciates our yeah. <laughs> podcast for helping him sleep. Yeah. Glad we could help. Yeah. <laughs> So if you're still awake, uh, which you're probably not because we're 40 minutes into this, uh, good night, Ross. <laughs> uh, but anyways, he went by and looked at it. And he was like, this needs everything. There's, there's not a thing on here that, that doesn't need some kind of attention because it hasn't been maintained in 30 years. Right. And eventually the guy did get it running well enough that he can go up and down the street on it and sold it to somebody and, Got more than I thought he'd get for it, but he did not get nearly as much as he was expecting to get. Yeah. I mean, honestly, motorcycles aren't great investments because people don't really have the same passion for them as they do cars, like an air-cooled 911 Turbo or something like that. You know, Not to say that some motorcycles don't appreciate in value, but even something like a Ducati, a Desmo Dezisi or something like that where... Yeah, they're worth a lot of money, but you also had to pay an astronomical amount of money to get it. And mm -hmm. if you look at inflation over time, like, is it really worth a whole bunch more, you know? No, over? I mean, you can, I think there was one we talked about in one of those, uh, when we were looking at used used bikes, where there was about half the value of what it was when it was new. Yeah. You know, and they only made and something fuel. like, yeah, a Honda Dream. They're old, <clears throat> they're rare. I mean, they look cool, but... I mean, they're really not that not worth very much money. And then same with the Vespa. I mean, a Vespa would probably pull a premium here in Portland. However, it's still probably worth less than the dollar value that it costs brand new. And any amount that it appreciates is probably only equivalent to, uh, you know, just standard inflation over time. So doubt it would be a good investment to hang on to it. But in most motorcycles, I think are probably that way. So if you're having a motorcycle collection for value 
and you're, you're taking the cost to maintain them and to store them and everything else. I mean, I, I would question whether or not it's really worth it. Something like that you should only do for personal gratification anyway. So, yeah. There are, I think, a lot of bikes, kind of like the Valkyrie that I was talking about. I like the idea of owning, but I think if I actually own them, you know, everything's always idyllic in your head. You know, you you don't fantasize about, well, gee, I might get that and really not care for it as much as I really expected to or not use it or uh, be disappointed in it. I, I like the idea of an ADV bike, but the uh, but the reality of me going somewhere where I would need any kind of off-road capability is less and less every year I go <clears throat> get older. They they look cool. I li- I'd like to ride one. I'd like to use one as it is, but to actually own one, yeah, yeah, same same kind of thing. Nice idea. Doesn't make any kind of, I mean, it doesn't make any sense, especially when you really are not going to get into a decent one if you want new for like under 14 grand by the time you get all the farkles and everything that you, you would want. I've had a lot of bikes and I've really enjoyed them. I can't think of too many that I would say I would seriously go back and buy another example of that same bike. My Boltacos, yeah, the one I really want doesn't exist and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I think a CB350F four-cylinder Honda is the one bike that I got rid of that I could see myself going out and getting tomorrow and using as my in-town bike. I have almost exactly zero interest in owning anything old again, just because I've spent so much time over the past couple of years working on these old bikes of mine where... I just would love nothing more than to get rid of all of them and own one or two fuel-injected motorcycles that require almost nothing in terms of maintenance. But So the the idea, you were just talking about the CB350F. Now, thinking about, they're cool motorcycles. I really like them. But then I thought about buying one and then having to go through everything like I do on every bike and how tedious it would be. And then it would sit for two weeks and you'd go to fire it up and realize like a caliper is leaking fluid or, you know, some other thing and then have to fix it. (sighs) I don't know. How's this daydream about how overworking on motorcycles I am? You know, I have to say the one vehicle that I have that I need is my spider. Yeah. Because some of it is I'm married and motor vehicles have cost my wife one sibling and almost cost her the other sibling on two different occasions, you know, truly life threatening accidents. So she has a legitimate reason to be concerned about safety. You know, back in 1985, I broke my back on a motorcycle. They're dangerous And I truly feel like it makes her more nervous when I'm on two wheels more so than three. And my spider has gotten me out of some really hairy situations that I don't know if I would have come through unscathed on two wheels. And I'm just more comfortable on it. A lot of our riding is three, four, five day trips where we'll go do 2000 miles. We're planning a 2500 mile trip later this year in that kind of a situation that does everything i need especially when 
they're trips in the Midwest. I'm not going to be on, you know, Highway 1 on the coast of California looking at the rocks of Big Sur as I twist up through all of these crooked turns. Uh, I'm going to be on a U.S. highway, maybe in some rolling hills, but that's it. So that is the one that I don't think I want to ever get rid of. Everything else I, is gravy. I can see that. And I'm disqualifying myself <laughs> in the eyes of many listeners from being a host of a motorcycle podcast because it's not a motorcycle. It eh. is a motorcycle, though. Well, I'll, I'll put it. Well, we're not going to go way. back there again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pete, I think I put it into our um, Slack chat, but did you ever get a chance to watch the 44 Teeth uh, video where Al did the three different spiders in Spain? Yes. Yes. Those who don't know, 44 Teeth, these guys are like hardcore sport bike guys for the most part. Um, not someone you'd think would be anything interested in the spider, but he rode, I think, what, three different models two, on two that. Two different ones, the F3 and the F3T touring version. Yeah, yeah. And more the the standard F3 than the T, although he, he kind of liked the T, but he liked the F3. But, but he actually genuinely had a good time on them and liked them and even said, I can see where this could be fun and make some sense and in the right circumstances, I would own it. So I, I have no problem with you saying, you know, any anyone who says, oh, you're not a motorcyclist because you have one of those, uh, go here, let me point you to this video. <laughs> uh, with the amount of money I've spent at MotorcycleCloseouts.com, I think that qualifies me as a motorcyclist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm buying all the gear, so yeah. I need you got the I need, shirt. <laughs> I need to spend some money over there on a new helmet. Uh I was on their website here pretty recently and I saw a four season jacket and they had a remarkably good deal on it. And you know, sometimes I'm skeptical of sites like that because, you know, they'll say MSRP's this, this is our price, and then you Google it and you can find it anywhere for the same or less, but I found a jacket on there and, you know, I think the normal retail price was like 270 bucks and they had it for 119 and I Googled the jacket and I couldn't find it anywhere less on the internet than $250. So they had a genuinely good deal on it. So that website, I'm glad you guys mentioned that because I had no idea about it until not long ago. And I have turned some of my friends onto it and they found some really good deals on it. So, uh, if you ever want me to go look at something in person that you have a question about, I'll be glad to because yeah. they're not far away and then they got a really nice big store that I love walking through. Yeah. Well, so much for our let's keep all of our podcasts between uh, 30 and 40 minutes. But, hey, Garrett, you're you're catching up for a couple weeks. That's and, right. And we're going to try to have something special here in the next couple weeks I won't spill the beans, but Garrett's working on something for us. Yeah, it'll... Now here's something yeah. you're sure to like, to quote uh, yeah. Rocky... Not Rocky... Bo- Rocky and Bullwinkle. Ro- yeah, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Okay. Watch me pull yeah, the rabbit coming. out of this hat. What on my sleeve. I have been neglectful. We have not been plugging all of our pluggable plugs. I've been just signing off the last couple of weeks. So uh, go to hooniverse.com. And you can see, uh, I don't know how many pictures. But we didn't really name very many by no. by model or brand. So there does all of our own personal bikes, I feel like, or like hypothetical bikes. It might uh, be easy for you. So that's every Tuesday at 
7.30 Pacific Time. Uh, you can also go to Facebook and go search for the False Neutral. Also, I will make a plug for the Smack Dab ride. We did have a little glitch on our website, and I found out people couldn't register. I fixed that today, so you can go to smackdab281.org to register, and you can follow all the chatter on the Facebook group for SmackDab. Uh, what else? We have we have a Twitter feed, but we don't ever do anything with it. Um, yeah. I uh, haven't put anything out on uh, YouTube recently, so I guess that's it, unless there's anything else. Eric, anything with RumbleStrip that you want people to go look at, see? I don't know. Yes. How, how are you pushing that stuff? YouTube.com slash RumbleStrip Radio for now, uh, or on on uh, Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash RumbleStrip. Um, I just this week put up my Audi A4 review. It's funny because certain things will get decent traction and others won't. Surprisingly, as much as I hate crossovers, they generate a lot of chatter. So, all right, here's the last six I've done. Uh, Audi A4, Mazda CX-3, Toyota Corolla IM, Toyota Prius, Chevy Malibu, and the Toyota CHR first drive. So that's the last ones I've done. Um, go check them out. Give them some views. Share, like, please. <laughs> We're working cool. on some, some new guests and, uh, Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll be bringing some other people on. I did talk to Rusty. I reached out to him actually for this week and said, hey, did you want to join us? Because he suggested the topic and he said, oh, I got plans this week, but I'd love to come back on. So we'll have Rusty on again sometime. Uh, yeah. Okay. Until next week or maybe until two weeks, because some who knows what's going to happen. It's just a topsy-turvy world. I'll see all of you guys and... Uh, Stay in touch. Yeah, so long. So long.